I'd like for you to turn to the book of James. We're at verse 19, chapter 1. Now I want to read through this entire passage, but I want you to keep your Bible open there on your lap, and we'll be going back and referring to it again. This you know, my beloved brethren. What he's saying is this. You, you know what I'm about to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Somebody said that preaching is just reminding folks of what they already know they haven't done yet. So he's saying, you already know what I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. This you know, my beloved brethren. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves. This is the, this is the key verse. You can underline or circle this verse. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now that's pretty heavy stuff. His religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This scene, I'm sure, has been uh, reenacted again and again, but I'll never forget it. We sat in a restaurant, in a, in a booth in a restaurant, and talked a long time one afternoon. This young man and, and myself, he was such a bright and, and, and dynamic young person. And we had developed a close friendship, and, and we had a lot in common, except that he wasn't a Christian. I'd been talking to him about giving his life to Christ, and, and he wanted to do that, and I wanted him to do that. As we sat in the booth that afternoon, I had a real feeling that he was at the point where he could receive Christ and become a Christian. And he said this to me, he said, you know, I, I want to be a Christian. I want to join the church and be baptized. He said, I'm confused. He said, there's so many people who believe one way and and behave another. He said there's so much difference between the profession and the practice of people that I know. He said, I'm confused by that. He said, I, I know that it's wrong, but he said, I just can't get past that. It is true that one of the big hindrances, one of the big humps that people have a problem getting over is the fact that there's so much, of, so much difference between the profession and the practice of, of Christian people. And there is such a discrepancy between what we be believe and how we behave. And there is such a wide gap between 
the promises of God and the performance of God's people. And that's what the book of James struggles with. And he wants us to, he comes right up front and deals with it right away. This bringing up to, up, up to, up to square the profession and the practice of people. That is, to make them match somehow. And it seems to me that, that, that the Christian faith would have a greater impact on its community if somehow there was a closer match between what we profess and what we practice. A.W. Tozier says that there is an evil which threatens the life of the church. And this is the evil, he said, the disparity between theology and practice. It appears too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but they don't want to experience the inconvenience of being right. It is an epidemic, and it is a disease that is threatening the vital of the church. That is, that people want the thrill of feeling right, but they don't want to experience the inconvenience of being right. And what James is dealing with here is bringing the, the, the being in line with the feeling and bringing the practice in line with the profession. Now, there are some general observations that we need to make before we get too far down into this text. The first is this that what he's talking about, what he's going to deal with and bringing up to match the belief and the behavior is an imperative truth. Now, if you know anything about baby Greek and you can read a Greek New Testament at all or look up something in a Greek lexicon, you know right up front, right, right off, that, that one of the first re- things you recognize in the Greek text is the imperative case. This is the imperative case. Let every one of you, he's saying. Let each of you. And, and, he, and he means that this is not an optional thing. It's not just a good thing that, you know, that, that we ought to do, and it's, it's, it, it's not something that, that is inspirational. I hope you're inspired to do this. He's saying you don't have a choice. This is a matter of life and death. This is a divine imperative that every one of you bring to match your profession and your performance. That's an imperative command. Second general observation is that this is family truth. He's saying, my beloved brethren, he's assuming that you are a Christian. He assumes that you know the Lord, and he's talking about those who are in the Christian family. This doesn't pertain to everybody. Now, those outside the Christian family can profess one thing and practice another if they want to. We're talking about the folks who are in the family of God. This is an imperative thing for you, for God's people. Third general observation is that this is a personal truth. He says, let every one of you, let each of you. Listen to me carefully. What he's saying is that this matching between your profession and your practice is not just for the preacher or the staff members that it runs up and down the line of every pew and it touches the life of every person who claims the name of Christ and it means that every person who is a part of the body of Christ, the local body of Christ, this is imperative for Him. Now, we do have a double standard, of course, but we shouldn't have. I mean, there are things that we expect of pastor and staff and deacon and church leaders, but he's saying everybody who names the name of Christ needs to match his profession to his 
his practice to his profession. And fourthly, it's a logical truth. I mean, this just makes sense. Now, there are some specific instructions that he gives us in this text. Let me say this uh, to preface what I want to say. Is, is that, that what he's talking about is both the occasion and the result of receiving the Word. Now let me see if I can explain this a little bit. He's saying before you come to church, because he's going to be talking about hearers and doers, and when, he, when he refers to hearers, he's talking about those you know, um, professional um, church attenders, <laughs> those pro, pros come every Sunday to hear the sermons, and, and, and he's saying that there are some things that are necessary, that, are, that is, there are some things that are vital in the preparation before you come to church. It's pretty relevant for those of us who are going tomorrow to Falls Creek. It's relevant to every person who comes into the house of God, to, to, comes into the church to, to hear a sermon, to hear the message of God, that there are some things that need to go on in preparation for that. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that getting ready for the Word is as important as getting the Word. And that oftentimes we never get the Word because we're not ready for it when, when it comes, you see. Now my mother used to, on Saturday night, she used to get us ready for church, on, you know, and she always got us ready on Saturday night. You know, you take a bath on Saturday whether you need it or not, you know, once a week. We'd all get, get a bath and She'd shine her shoes, you know, with that liquid shinola shoe polish, and, and we'd get our Sunday school lesson, and we'd study our Sunday school lesson. We'd lay our Bibles all out, and we'd fill out our envelope, and, you know, and get all that fixed up so that on Sunday morning we were ready for church. Well, that's getting ready in a sense, but that's not what he's talking about here. He said there are some things that are, that are necessary when you come to hear the Word of God in preparation. But it's not just the occasion for the Word, it's the result of it. And this is the strange paradox that when you are ready to receive the Word, what results when you receive it is, is exactly what should happen before you receive it. Now, that's a marvelous paradox. And I hope that I haven't shot right over your head. Why don't you see what I'm talking about here in a minute? Now to get ready for the Word, this is essential. He says, first of all, you need to have open ears. Quick to hear. You've heard of fleet of foot. He's talking about fleet of, fleet of ear. I mean, ready to hear. Now, listening is not something that you and I enjoy. We like to talk. Somebody was telling me about this person that was on the staff of this church, and he said he was kind of one of those glad handers, you know. And he'd walk in, you walk up to him, he'd say, How are you doing? Before you'd be able to answer, he'd say, Great, you know, great, wonderful, glad to hear it. So, so this guy had it, had it, you know, he had him, he was loaded for him one Sunday. Guy walked up to him and said, how are you doing? Guy said, well, terrible, my mother just died. He said, well, great, glad to hear it. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, we don't hear any of those things. Um, when you came into this place tonight, other than hearing a, a Bible study, did you even anticipate you might hear from God? And this assumes, you see, that a person is convinced that God does speak. I wonder how long it's been since you've heard from God. You've heard the old story about the priest who went, into, went to the altar and he, 
got bowed down and went, and went through his procedure, you know, and, and, and said, Oh, Father, and God spoke back and said, Yes, my son, the guy died with a heart attack. It shocked him so. I mean, he, he'd been through the motions, you know, of talking to God all this time, but never anticipated God had anything to say to him. Let me tell you something. God has a lot more to say to you than you're willing to hear. And when he talks about being quick to hear, he's talking about fine-tuning. I was listening to a talk show the other day and they had this physicist on there. And every time I start talking about physics, I get in trouble. Lewis Barker and Jerry Polson remind me how stupid I am <laughs> talking about that. I'm going to try it one more time. This guy said that if we had, the, if we had the, 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 the instruments, if we had the machines, whatever they're called, he said if we had the instruments, we could go back to Gettysburg where Lincoln pre presented or gave his Gettysburg address and can hear the voice tones of Lincoln who spoke that over a hundred years ago. Still in there, he said. Those voice waves of, of his voice, you know, those voice, whatever they are, those, those gizmos, those things are still there. He said, if we had the instruments, we could tune in and get them. Let me tell you something. If you, if you are quick to hear it means, if you're ready for it, God has a word He wants to say to you. may not be what you want to hear, but He has a word to say to you. All right, there's some second thing. He said, slow to speak, a controlled tongue. A controlled tongue. Socrates once said, speak, young man, so I can see you. How often we give ourselves away with our tongues. Listen to me. Nowhere do we reveal the quality of our inner lives more vividly than the words we speak. A great deal more can be learned, can be known about a person by listening to his speech than by looking at his face or looking at his house. And so Isaiah went into the temple and there he got a vision of God and this is what he cried, Woe is me for a man, I am a man of unclean lips. Does that surprise you? You'd normally think that he'd say, I'm a man of an unclean life, or I'm a man of an unclean mind. No, he said, I'm a man of, an un, of unclean lips. You know why he said that? How, what is the best way to know what's down inside of you? G the Scripture tells us over and over that the best way to know what's down inside a man is listen to him talk. Slow to speak. All the sins of the tongue. Sins of idle gossip, sins of profanity, sin of dishonesty, sin of a censorious criticism. Now listen to what he's saying. He's saying if you want the Word of God, if you want to get God's Word, you're going to have to do something about your tongue. The way you talk, what you say, how you, what's your speech. Third, is a calm spirit is a calm spirit, says slow to anger. Now because it's in the context of receiving God's Word, he may be saying, you know, don't get mad when God speaks to you. I mean, don't get defensive when God points out things in your life you don't like. He may be talking about that. He may be just talking about the fact that a person uh, loses his temper. How, how much the witness of God is hurt by people who lose their temper. You know what? You lose your temper one time and to some pe the people with whom you have lost your temper, you have lost your witness immediately. 
I heard Ken Chafin, I've shared this before, but I, I heard Ken Chafin, who was my evangelism professor at Southwestern, tell about the time he was a bachelor and he was pastor of James Avenue Church in Fort Worth. and just know, He was just a bachelor and taking care of his own house, so he got his shirts uh, washed and starched down at this laundry. He said they, they knew exactly how he was to do them. It's just, you know, starched just right and fixed just right. And, and, and so he took them in there and he said, took them in there one day and there was a, some new owners in there taking that place over. He left his shirts, told them how he wanted them. And he said, now I'm really finicky about my shirts. And when he came back to, to get them, they, were, they weren't like he, he was accustomed to wearing his, you know, like, and said, he said, you know, it had been a bad day. He said, I just blew my stack. Lost my temper. He said, now that, you know, that's ridiculous. You know, if you're going to be in business, you know, this really, this really blew his stack. He, he said, oh, well, you know, Dr. Norche, we're sorry. We'll, you know, they, they apologize. They apologize. And all. So he left them to a second chance. Monday night visitation. And they had all these visitor's cards stretched out on the table for prospects for them to go visit. He, he went over there to get the prospect to visit. Guess whose name? Guess whose name he got? The new owners of the laundry down the street where he just lost his cool. And he said, God spoke, I'm, it condemned me. And he said, I took that card and I said to the people who are there, he said, I'm ashamed to say this, but I can't go to that house and I can't share the gospel with those people because they've seen me lose my temper. Somebody else is going to have to do this. Let me tell you something. There's more to Christianity than sitting in a church, singing a song, and saying a prayer. And if you're accustomed to losing your cool, your temper, you've lost your witness in those places. A controlled tongue. A calm spirit. Look here, number four. A clean heart. Now watch this carefully. He says, therefore, now, now, this is absolutely essential. Young people are going to Falls Creek tomorrow. Going to get to some of the best preaching you've heard all year down at Falls Creek. God's going to, God has a word. You've got a special person in your cabin. He's going to be sharing with you every night. Listen, you're going to, how, how's it going to, you know, is it going to, is it going to take, is it going to, is it going to affect you? Here, here's, Here's what's going to happen before it does. Verse 21. Putting aside all filthiness. Putting aside all filthiness. Now, the, the amazing thing about that word filthiness there is, and it fits right into the context, it's the word, it's the root from which we get the word earwax, strangely enough. Putting aside all earwax. And, and what he's talking about, hearing the, hearing the word from God, and he, and he puts that word in there. I mean, it just, it just, boom, it just speaks. And what he's saying is that in order to hear, you're going to have to clear the earwax out of the ear. Out of the ear. In order to hear from God, you're going to have to clean out the, the stuff out of your life. The, the ugliness out of your heart. The, the dirt, the filth, the impurity out of your heart. It's like going into the into a room to perform surgery. You don't go in there, you know. It's a germ-free environment. You, you don't go in there with dirty hands. And so you come in to where God is speaking, where God has a message. You don't come in there with dirty hands. 
Let me tell you what would happen. If you and I would clean out the filth of our lives, you know, whatever that is, before we came here on, Sunday to, on Sundays, what a difference it would make when we met to worship. You know what we want? We want to come in here and have God zap us and clean out our lives for us. That's what we want to happen. Man, it would just be great if I could just come to church and somehow God would zap me and just clean me up, boy, like a... You know, like Mr. Clean, just a zip, boy, and I'd be lily white. Didn't work that way. As a matter of fact, God says that you've got to clean that out of your life before He will work in your life. Isn't that amazing? And He says, and all that remains, and all that remains, he, He's suggesting that there, you, you've, come up, you've come part of the way. You're part of the way there. But there are still things in your life, still things in your life, that hinder God's free movement and the Holy Spirit's free work. Like my dear friend who came down the aisle this morning. I'm going to find out. He's here, so I'm not going to embarrass him, call his name. His initials are GW. That's my initials, by the way, so it's all right. But, you know, it's amazing to me that it's usually the godliest people that feel the ungodliest. You ever notice that? And that the people who are the closest to God are the people who feel the most ungodly. There's no such thing as sinless perfection because the closer you get to God, the farther from, away from God you feel. Isn't that amazing? You read the lives of the, the biographies of the saints and the closer they got to God, the more they cried, woe is me for I'm a sinner. And so here's this young man who comes you know, on Sunday and this is his, re his request to me. This is what he said to me. Now I'm sure that by his coming he, he would not, uh, you know, he would not resent me saying this to you. It was a wonderful testimony. He said, I'm, there's still some things in my life that I wish that God would give me the strength to remove. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm coming, I'm on the way, but there's so much left in my life. He said, now, now there are some things left. You know what they are, don't you? Those things still left. You surrendered some, but there's that little closet, you know, over there, that little door still locked. Those things, that's what he said, that which remains. You give that to God and you're on your way. And then there's this reception in verse 21. He says, in humility, he's talking about a teachable spirit. In humility, I've gotten this out of my life and now I'm coming to God and humility I come. Teachable spirit. Think of a man overweight. If you can't think of one, look up here. Here's a man overweight. He goes to the doctor. The doctor says to him, Sir, you, you need to lose some weight. You need to lose about 30 pounds. You need to cut out on the sweets and cut out the greasy fat stuff and, and all the potatoes and bread and, and everything else that's good. You need to leave all that stuff out and you need to lose some weight. And the guy says, Okay, I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to start tomorrow. I'm going to get on slim fast and I'm going to lose some weight. Tomorrow, I start. Today, I'm going to go on a binge, but tomorrow, I'm going I'm to... About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he has this crushing chest pain in his chest. He's gasping for breath. He falls down on the floor, afraid to move, afraid just the slightest move, he'll be dead. He thinks he's dying. I mean, it's like a ton, two-ton truck just crushed down on him. His wife calls the ambulance. In the ambulance... He's screaming down toward the hospital. He's gasping for breath. 
and they're working over him, giving him, pushing on his chest and trying to get him to breathe, he's saying to himself, I'm going to lose weight, I guarantee you. God, I'm going to lose weight, I promise. Get me out of this and I'm going to lose weight. You know what he did? You know, on that way to the hospital and that ambulance, all of a sudden he has become teachable. I guarantee you he's teachable. He's making promises. He swears off of sweets and greasy fat stuff. And today he's going to, never again, he says, he's a teachable person. You know how serious it is? You know how serious this business of bringing your profession in line, your practice in line with your profession? Let me tell you, it's a matter of life and death for people. And if people get humble enough and teachable enough to say, if you can show me, if if you'll just show me from God's Word how I'm to live, I'll live that way. And if young people say, if you'll just show me what it says, show me what it says, teach me what it says, give me some word from God, show me what it says, and I'll live that way for the rest of my life. That's what he's talking about. It's a matter of life and death. Teachable spirit. To receive the word, he says in that verse 21, receive it, welcome it. I don't care who preaches it. I don't care who does it, just as long as I get lots of it. Just tell me, somebody, show me, tell me. That brings us to the response in verses 22 through 27. And I'm going, to have, I'm going to hurry and I'm going to give you that and we're through. A doer of the word. You tell me you came to church 52 times, 52 Sundays out of the year last year. So what? Your friends at school say, you say you go to church all the time. What does that prove? I've heard... 5,681 sermons, and you know, I got them all down, and, and I got notes on every one of them. Really? What does that prove? You prove that you've been to church by living it out there, then I'll believe it. You prove it. Prove you're a hearer of the word by being a doer of it. See? It's interesting that this word hero there is a word that means to audit something, to audit a class. When I was in a seminary, back before the invention of the wheel, there was this old guy that lived right out close to the campus. They called him Pop. Anybody here that is Pop still living? He must have been 165 years old when I was in seminary. He was this old fella, and, and, he, and he, he hung around the seminary all the time. He loved to go to class. He went to all the classes. I had him in several classes. He was auditing, he said. is what he said. I'm just auditing this course. And he'd come in. He didn't have to do any papers. He didn't have to take any test. He just sat there and soaked in all this wonderful stuff this teacher was teaching. And we were, you know, we'd, we, was doing, we were doing uh, uh, papers and, and assignments, and we'd go and test. Come time for the test, Pop wouldn't be there, because why would he come? You know, he wouldn't. He's just auditing the course. How many sermons have you audited? How many messages have you audited? How many, how, many, how many words from God have you audited? You come and, and, and I come and, man, it's great, come, isn't it? I mean, just to audit, you know, just to listen. We don't, we're not going to put it into practice, of course. We just, we're coming to hear it. See, 
I'm a hearer of the Word. I'm a professional auditor. And that's why he's, now watch this, he's saying, now you prove that you've heard. All right, secondly, he uses this illustration of a guy looks in a mirror. You know, he, he sees his morning face, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, morning. Your morning face is ugly as mine. <laughs> I'm, I'm all looking at, whoa, you know, hair all disheveled and face all, you know, wrinkled from sleep and how many of you, how many of you gals go out without putting on your face? You know, out, the one that's in the bottle. You know, I mean, you're not going to go out and face the world with your morning face. And so you look in that mirror and you see your morning face and you say, Oh my goodness, I need some makeup. I need some, I need some mascara and all that. Put on a little lipstick and fix your hair. And, and what you see, you see, there is, 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 is what, what you are, you know. And so you're, gonna, you gotta, you're not going to let anybody see you looking like that. I'm not either. Now he said that a guy who comes and audits the sermon and goes away and does nothing about it, it's like a guy looks in the mirror, sees what he's like and doesn't do anything about it. Because you know what the Bible, the Word of God, what it does, it shows us what we are. See, it reveals what we are. And so we come and we take a look at the Word of God like looking in a mirror and then turn away and forget what we saw there and make no changes. Make no changes. He says, uh, ridiculous. He says, ridiculous as a person looking in a mirror at his morning face and going out and facing the world without doing anything about it. Isn't that, a, isn't that revealing? I don't know whether you're having fun or I am. I'm having a lot of fun. I, I, hope you have a, I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. Now he comes to this example, and verse 26 is the most powerful verse of all. Now look at this. He says, this is the test of true religion. This is the test of true Christianity. Number one, you control your tongue. Well, I'd have thought the test of true Christianity was... was being faithful to visit, give you tithe, and be in Sunday school. The test of true religion, he said, is control your tongue. Secondly, the test of true Christianity is compassion toward the unfortunate. The control of the tongue, the comp compassion toward the unfortunate, and third, cleanliness of life, purity of life. Now, if you want to see... If this is the genuine article, this is the genuine article. Controlling tongue, control tongue, compassion toward the unfortunate, and to keep yourself untainted by the world. You remember when you was a kid, your mother dressed you up for Sunday, Sunday church and put on a Seersucker suit, you know, a little blue, light blue seersucker suit and white shirt, and say, now we got an hour before we leave, don't get dirty. Can you remember that? Don't you dare get dirty. It's pretty hard for a little boy to do, you know, in a blue seersucker suit. If you got an hour in a, in a contaminated environment, don't you dare get dirty. 
Um, you heard, I heard about this old Negro mammy sat down with her kids. And she said, children, you know why we got all these different colored birds? No, no grandma, we don't know. He said, well, it's easy. He said, God let all those birds out of the ark before the colors of the rainbow dried. He said, some of the birds flew away from the rainbow, them was the white birds. He said, some birds flew through the blue colors, and them was the blue birds. Some flew through the red, and them was the red birds. Some through the yellow, so them was the yellow birds. <laughs> said, some through all, <laughs> that's almost hilarious. Some <laughs> flew through all the colors, said, them was the speckled birds. <laughs> and then she said, reason I'm telling you this, children, and this is, this is the kicker. Whatever you rub up against in this world, some of it is going to rub off on you. Whatever you rub up against in this world, it's already rubbed off on you. The question is, who or what are you rubbing up against? Now we need to bring to square. We need to match what we practice to what we profess. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open up the Word and see like a mirror our natural face. And we're grateful that we don't have to be that way. And I pray, Father, for an obedient spirit, a humble spirit, teachable, for people who will say, Show me the word. That's how I live. Show me God's word. Show me God's will. That's what I'll do. Help us to put away, put aside, put out of our life that which would keep us from doing that. For I ask in Jesus' name, a spirit of prayer, look this way. I want to invite you tonight to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Most of the people that I look out on, on Sunday night to see, I know, and I know most of you are saved. There might be somebody here tonight, maybe a visitor, maybe a church member, who's never professed his faith in Jesus Christ, never repented of the self-controlled life, the self-controlled way to yield to Christ as Savior and Lord. Never invited Him, never said to, your, to the Lord, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Here I am. Take control. I want you to do that tonight. If you've never done that, just like this precious little girl sitting right down here in front of me, gave her heart to Jesus and was baptized. You, you can do the same thing. There might be somebody tonight who is already a Christian, but 
you know, there's so much going on that keeps God from you and you from God. I mean, you can't even go to His Word and hear. Can't even get anything out of it. You've got some getting out of your life to do. Putting away. You may want to do that tonight. Might be a sin of spirit, sin of disposition, or you know, sin of flesh, whatever. Maybe somebody want to come and join the church. I, I want to invite you and urge you to do that while God is here with us. You have a chance to do that while we stand to sing, would you?